Well, as I said a moment ago, great to see all of you today. We are continuing our march through the book of Daniel. Uh, there was so much more that we could have said last week regarding uh, the times of the Gentiles. It is a fascinating study. We just gave it kind of a broad overview, uh, trying to pack all the information regarding the times of the Gentiles into one 30 to 40 minute sermon is nearly impossible, uh, but we are not done with that topic and we're going to return to it again in uh, the latter chapters of Daniel, particularly in chapter 7, uh, and then we'll touch on it again in chapter 9. So if I left you wondering about a few things last Sunday, hang on, we'll be uh, studying more on that very interesting topic in the the weeks ahead. But this morning, we're going to move forward into chapter 3, and we're going to read one of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible. Every kid who grew up in Sunday school has heard this story. In fact, I believe the three most popular, <clears throat> excuse me, and well-known stories, Bible stories, in all of the Bible that most everyone who has a church background is acquainted with would be, first of all, David and Goliath. Most everybody's heard of that. Uh, secondly, would be Daniel in the lion's den. And then uh, today, this story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Uh, that's the one, of course, we're going to read here in Daniel chapter 3. Those three are probably the most popular, well-known Sunday school stories in, uh, in all of the Scripture. In fact, one pastor I was reading this week uh, joked and said that if a preacher can't preach a message from Daniel chapter 3, then they should probably revoke his ordination. So it is so, it is so well-known and so ordinary. Uh, another story is told of a family who was riding home from church, and the dad asked his son what he had learned in class that day. And he said, well, there were three guys who wouldn't bow down to the king's statue. So he threw them in a fire, but they didn't burn. He said, I can't remember their names, but they kind of sounded like houses, like my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. But uh, I thought, well, yeah, people make jokes out of famous stories all of the time. Okay, this isn't my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, and as I, and I also kind of hesitate to call it a story, lest you think that it's fiction. Uh, some exciting tale with a good moral to the story at the end. No, this is, this is a true event that the Holy Spirit of God directed Daniel to write down for us. Many of you know the verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Uh, So all of the Scripture that we have is not just make-believe fiction, it it is a Scripture that has been given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Bible writers to write down for our learning, for our admonition, for our encouragement. And so the story we're going to read today is a real, true-life story, uh, very fascinating. Thousands of sermons have been preached from this passage, but there's this incredible true event that teaches us so much about God and so much about the people who are dedicated to Him. And as I said, thousands of sermons have been preached from this passage, and there's a famous outline that that I'm not going to use directly, but I'll share it with you, just so you know. I can't determine the original source, uh, but there was a book published back in 1990 called Exploring the Book of Daniel by a fellow named Jerry Vines, and he outlined chapter 3 of Daniel this way. He said, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't burn. 
And even earlier than that, I had heard an old uh, Southern Gospel song when I was a kid, first sung by the Statler Brothers way back in the 70s, called The Fourth Man. And the chorus goes, They wouldn't bend, they held on to the will of God, so we are told. They wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bow their knee to the idol made of gold. They wouldn't burn, they were protected by the fourth man in the fire. They wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't burn. So now you know the most famous outline of Daniel chapter 3 in modern history. And you can add that to your, to add that to your collection. Uh, we are going to read the chapter and I will pause to add a bit of commentary occasionally through the reading. And then after we get done with this reading and my kind of run along commentary as we go through, I want to focus on, when we get to the end of the message, I want to focus on two little three word phrases that are essential for us if we are going to face difficulty in a way that pleases God. Most of you are familiar with the story. I want to go, I want to, I want you to go home today thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a way that I pray will give fresh purpose to your life. Because if we are going to face difficulty in a way that pleases God, We've got to get a good handle on these two little phrases that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Two little three-word phrases, and I'll give them to you in a moment. So let's read our chapter. When all, as I say, we'll pause along the way with a little bit of uh, commentary to let you know what is going on there. Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And I'll pause there for just a moment. When he says he sets up this image, he means it was a statue of a human being. Now Daniel does not say that it was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. It could very well have been. Perhaps Nebuchadnezzar was inspired by his dream in Daniel 2. He was the head of gold with his awesome kingdom. So he thought he would build himself a statue that was all gold, that looked like him. But all Daniel says was this is a, an image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Maybe it looked like him, maybe it didn't. He certainly would have been arrogant enough to do this. But it kind of had weird dimensions. Uh, one, uh, one cubit is about 18 inches, generally speaking. And so 60 cubits high and, and 6 cubits wide, it would be 90 feet high and about 9 feet wide. So 90 feet, man, that's like a, that's like a 7 or 8 story building. thing is huge. But, but very, very narrow. So this tall, very skinny little gold statue sitting out on this little prairie area. And maybe it was on a huge base, so the actual image may not have been quite that tall. But, but regardless, everybody would be able to clearly see it because the top of the thing was 90 feet in the air. Then in verse 2, King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." So at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre in symphony with all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Pause there for just a second. Bible translators have had a, a, had a an if fun and interesting time figuring out how to translate into English uh, all of the various instruments that are listed here. Uh, we know that in the ancient world, musical instruments were categorized into three different categories, wind instruments, stringed instruments, and percussion instruments. And then a few hundred years ago, we divided uh, with, the, uh, with the invention of, uh, of brass instruments, we divided the wind instruments into brass and woodwind. Uh, and then, of course, now we have keyboard instruments as well. But in the ancient world, you had wind instruments, things that you blew into, stringed instruments that you plucked the strings, and percussion instruments, various types of drum and cymbal sorts of things. And all three types of those of those are listed here. So what we have, we have this gigantic symphony orchestra playing whatever it is they're going to play. And, and, and at the sound when the orchestra is playing, everybody's supposed to bow down and worship this image. Now given the size of the kingdom, all of these government officials who were ordered to show up, uh, there could have very easily been tens of thousands of people there. In fact, some historians estimate there may have been in excess of 100,000 people gathered on this plain in Adura, which may explain why Nebuchadnezzar didn't initially see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up. If they're in this sea of, of, of 70, 80,000 people, 100,000 people, you can picture yourself in some of our modern football stadiums. And if you're way at one end of the stadium and uh, you don't know who's standing up and who's sitting down and what's going on. I mean, this is a massive sea of, of possibly even up to 100,000 people. And so they're, they're all there. This, this fiery furnace, or what the scripture records here is the fiery furnace, was what we would call a kiln, a K-I-L-N. This huge oven that was designed to create enormous amounts of heat, incredible temperatures, several thousand degrees, that would be able to turn items of clay into pottery or tiles or bricks. Archaeologists have found many of these uh, kilns with uh, open bottom areas to add fuel, to stoke the fire, as we would say, and, and a large vertical opening, a stack that could control the airflow. And all of us who've lived in Montana have used wood stoves enough, you understand that concept. And so, and so we've got this, maybe let's just say 100,000 people on this plane. And you've got this massive orchestra and this weird-looking skinny 90 foot high statue made of gold and Nebuchadnezzar I'm sure is sitting there on his throne at one end of it near where the furnace is and maybe near where the statue is looking out at this sea of people watching them all as they bow down to his statue let's read on verse 8 therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews they spoke and said O King Nebuchadnezzar O King live forever 
You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the gold image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And this is the classic statement here. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Well, he's about to find out, as you, as most of you well know. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, meaning we have no need to defend ourselves. They weren't being smart, Alex. Uh, say, we're not going to tell you nothing, king. That's not, that's not what they're saying. They're saying we, we, we have no need to try to provide a defense, to try to come up with some kind of reply to you. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, that you're going to throw us in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He did like them previously, and he had promoted them to wonderful things in the kingdom in chapter 2. But his, now his expression has changed toward them, and he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered. I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Just to pause there for a moment. Verse 25, that last phrase there, could also be translated, a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar recognized that the appearance of this fourth person appeared to be divine or supernatural. It was not another human being, and he knew it. Early English Bible translators believed, as many Bible students do, that this could very well have been what we often call in the Old Testament a theophany. And that is an Old Testament appearance of God the Son, whom, of course, we know in the New Testament as the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, often it is uh, written in the Old Testament, you, sometimes you see the phrase, an angel of the Lord. Sometimes you see in the Hebrew language a definite article, the angel of the Lord, which we believe whenever the angel of the Lord appears, there's always worship involved by Joshua, Moses, and, and, and others. So, so we often, there are many who believe, and I'm inclined to believe that, that who was actually in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It was an Old Testament appearance of God the Son, what theologians call a theophany. Thus, uh, these early English Bible translators, because they believed that, they made the translational choice to translate this, the Son of God. Could also in the Aramaic language have been a son of the gods. And, and although we doubt that Nebuchadnezzar totally understood what he was seeing, uh, it's quite possible it was indeed a theophany. But whether it was just, I hate to say an ordinary angel, but, but, but not the angel, not the angel of the Lord, whether it was just an angel or actually a theophany, a, a, a theophany, God the Son, one thing is certain for sure. Nebuchadnezzar knew that he was not seeing another human being. He said, because this, this fourth person in the fire, fellas, he looks like something, uh, it's, it, he, he's, he's, not a, he's not an ordinary human walking around there with him. Didn't we throw three guys in? Yes, sir. Yes, O king. We threw three guys in. Well, there, there's four guys, and they, they're not getting burned up. They're, they're walking around in the fire, and this four, that fourth guy, he kind of looks supernatural. There's something different about him. And so he calls out to them, verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar went near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and he spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar, you know the only thing that burned? Did you catch the only thing that burned? The ropes that tied them. That's what burned up. That, that, those burned up and fell off. Because they were all wrapped up in these ropes and thrown into the incinerator. The only thing that, the, the only thing that was touched was the ropes that bound them. Their clothes were totally untouched. It's amazing. Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 28, Blessed be God of Shadrach, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel. Notice it's capitalized there in, in, your, in your New King James Version, uh, that because, again, the Bible translators believe it was a theophany. But he says, uh, he says, He sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses be made an ash heap. I thought as I read that, I kind of had to chuckle. That seems to be Nebuchadnezzar's favorite punishment, if you remember from chapter 2. You do something the king doesn't like, he wants you to be hacked in pieces and your house burned down. And I would imagine that the crime rate was relatively low in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar on the throne. But he says, anybody that trash talks the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, anybody that mocks the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, anybody who says anything negative about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to hack you in pieces and burn your house down because he said, there is no other God who can deliver like this. 
Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You know, the word martyr has kind of an unnerving sound. We, uh, we tend to, to connect it with the days of Jesus and the apostles to the early church disciples who were crucified or thrown to the lions. A few of us have read portions, maybe of Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, about the persecution of God's children down through the centuries. But we who live in North America tend to think of martyrdom as belonging someplace else. Today, of course, it's happening in Afghanistan. You know, some Christian groups who research these things tell us that there have been more followers of Jesus who have been killed because of their faith in Christ since 1900, the last 120 years, than in all the previous centuries combined. But it hasn't really happened much here, at least not with government sanction. But could it happen here? It's happening all over the world in many places in the last hundred years. There have been millions of God's people who have been killed for their faith. Could it happen here? You, you know it could. And, and you know it quite possibly will. Our culture is becoming increasingly hostile to the Word of God and the people who believe it. And our religious freedoms are under increasing attacks as the months pass. The truth of the gospel has been rejected by people who claim to be religious and even by people who claim to be Christian. Jesus told his disciples in the Gospel of John chapter 16 and verse 2, he told his disciples that the time was coming when, when those who would kill us will think they are doing God a favor. They'll think they're actually serving God by killing the disciples of Jesus. And if you were to go around today saying, you know, folks, Jesus told us to love one another and be nice human beings, everybody would smile and say, oh, that's so right, that's so right. But if you go around saying that faith in the person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, then watch out. Put on your spiritual crash helmet, or maybe put on your real crash helmet if you have one. If you dare to speak of the Bible's standards on gender and sexuality, hold on. That's a hate crime in some countries that are very nearby to us. If you dare to casually question the teachings of modern psychology, why, how dare you? What kind of an idiot are you? You actually think that the Bible has answers to the problems of modern man? What a kook you are! You should be locked up somewhere so you can't infect anybody. I've actually read statements like that on Facebook about people who believe what I believe. You think Jesus is the only way? I, I, how dare you imply that I am not a good person, good enough for God to accept me. I am a law-abiding citizen and I'm good to my neighbor and I'm nice to almost everybody, unless they really tick me off, and of course then that's their fault, not mine. So don't try to tell me that I'm a sinner. I'm, I, I'm a good person. And my religion is just as good as yours. That's what our modern culture is saying today. That's why the Apostle Paul told Timothy, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The day is coming, I believe sooner than later, when we who know the Lord and are trying to follow Him and live by His word, we will be the enemy of society even more than we already are. 
And we will need the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I would place their words and their actions in the heroic category. And I want to read them again with you. And that's where we're going to focus our last thoughts here in just a couple, for just a couple minutes. Go back to verse 16 in your chapter. And let's look at verse 16, 17, and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, to to defend ourselves. If that is the case, if you're going to throw us in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, if he decides not to deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. There are three attitudes here that I believe are a great challenge to us. Conviction, confidence, and determination. We see in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see conviction, confidence, and determination. And then there are two little phrases I want you to remember from what they said in these verses. Two little three-word phrases. The first one is this, God is able. They said, God, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us. God is able. But the first phrase of verse 18, but if not. God is able, but if not. And those two phrases explain the theology of dedicated followers of the Lord Jesus. They said, we have no need to try to defend ourselves, to try to debate this issue with you, O King. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, and we believe that He will. But we don't, mind, but, but we don't know the mind of God in every situation in life. So even if He doesn't deliver us, we still won't worship your gods or this statue. God is able, but if not, we still won't worship. That's what we might call practical theology, or practical theology 101, or applied theology 101. Some of you recognize the name Paul Tripp. We have uh, used some of his videos at different times over the, over the years here at our church. He likes to call this street-level theology. It's not a theory in a book. It's not a formal statement of faith that we recite and say amen. It, it's right where we live every day. It's where we work. It's where we eat. It's where we interact with other people. It's down on the street level where we live. God is able, but if not. And what, what gave them this, this conviction that they knew their God and they knew what he could do? God is able to deliver. God is able to save. God is able to rescue. And how did they know that? Because they saw and knew what God had done in the past. God spoke the universe into existence. He parted the Red Sea. He parted the Jordan River. He brought water out of a rock. He provided manna in the desert for 40 years. He had brought down the walls of Jericho, etc., etc., etc. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been taught these things since they were little kids. And because they knew their God, they knew what He could do. So therefore, in their time of crisis, they knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is able. Because they knew what God had done in the past, they knew what God could do in the present. And that's the, you know, that is the, the great, great value that comes to us from learning God's Word. 
You learn who God is. You learn what He has done. You learn what He can do. Knowing God gives you the strength to stand your ground no matter what. They had, they had confidence. And, you know, we, we think God will deliver us, they say. They were optimistic about what God would do. They didn't know for sure, but they knew God could, and they were praying that He would. But then they said, even if He doesn't, if not, we will still, we will not bow down. Tremendous conviction and confidence and determination. God is able, but if not. What an amazing example of faith. They hoped for deliverance, but they didn't demand it. They left everything in the hands of God. And I want to apply that to us as we, as we wind up our thoughts today. We want our prayers answered. God is able, but if not, we want long life and good health. God is able, but if not, we want to prosper financially. God is able, but if not, we want peace and freedom. God is able, but if not, we want God to heal America. God is able. But if not, we want to see crooked politicians get, get, get what's, what's coming to them. My wife and I laugh about that all the time. You know what? God is able, but if not, He may let evil win for a while. We want to be healed of cancer or whatever disease. God is able, but if not, I want my loved one to not die from COVID. God is able, but if not, if God says no to your dreams and desires, will you still trust Him? If God says no to your plans for the future, will you still serve Him? If God does not deliver when through your tears you pray for those whom you love, will you still follow Him? You see, this brings us face to face with this attribute of God that we don't often think about, and that, that God is incomprehensible. Meaning that there are many things about God that we can't understand. In fact, if you and I could understand everything about God, He wouldn't be worth worshiping. Because if we could understand everything about Him, then that would make God human. And He wouldn't be worth worshiping. God does what God wants to do, not what we think God should do. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Isaiah 46, one of my favorite passages, verses 9 and 10. God says, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like Me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel will stand. I will do all my pleasure. Ephesians 1.11 says that God works all things according to the counsel of His will. You know, there are many, many mysteries in life. One child is born healthy. Others are born with disabilities. As I know personally. One person prospers financially. Another makes the same kinds of financial plans and decisions but struggles for years. Some prayers are answered almost immediately. Others go unseemingly or, or, or sorry, others go seemingly unanswered for decades. 
Even in the Word of God, you had two apostles in Acts chapter 12. The apostle James was killed with the sword. In the same chapter, the apostle Peter was miraculously delivered. Two apostles, same chapter, same prayers, different results. There are many, many mysteries. God is incomprehensible. We, we do not understand everything about what he does and why. And neither did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They knew God, and they said, Our God is able to deliver us, and we think that he will. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. God is able, but if not. We all hope and pray to live long lives in peace and safety. But the days may be coming, and perhaps not that far away, when some of us may be called upon to make some very serious choices. In all of these things, we have the Word of God as our hope and strength. So I challenge you to trust God and don't be afraid. Our God is able to deliver us. But if not, may we be found faithful to the Lord all the way to the end, even unto death. Let's pray. What a challenge, Lord, from the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know you're a great God. We know you have incredible power. We know you can do whatever you want. But we also know, Lord, that we don't understand everything about you. We don't understand all of your purposes. We don't know intimately exactly what the will of God is in every situation. So help us, Lord, to trust you regardless of the circumstances. Help us to wait on You. Help us to look to You. Knowing that You have the power to do whatever You want, but not understanding always what Your will is, may we pray knowing God is able to deliver us, but if not, we still won't bow down. We're still going to be faithful. We're still going to do what's right in the eyes of God. Help us, Lord, to have this attitude, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.